Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. The Sefer Ratzel, Cannabis, Mirror Magic, and Crystal Gazing. It has been a while since I did some podcasting of my uh, dear friend's fabulous Lieber 420 by Chris Bennett, but as I still do my best to support his work and uh, run uh, Lieber420.com and a Facebook group to help get his work out there, because he's a big fan of just getting this information out there, I I fully support that, and uh, once in a while it's a pleasure to dive into his extensive research and uh, share bits of it for us to talk about and uh, review and comment on and explore. Mirrors and other objects with reflective surfaces have been important magical tools since ancient times. As we also saw with the Goblet of Jam that provided both an intoxicating beverage and a reflective pool in which to see visions, we can be sure that drugs in this form of divination have been paired together from early times as well. Interestingly, this combination also appeared in at least two popular Renaissance-era grimoires, and this traditional pairing can be followed in literature well into the early 20th century. In reference to what we have already stated about ancient and medieval use of topical preparations of cannabis and other drugs for magical and religious purposes, one of the most interesting references occurs in the 16th century grimoire Seferatiel Liber Salomonis, where it is used for seeing spirits and devils in a magic mirror. Often referred to as Seferatiel and also known as Liber Salomonis, this grimoire has seven known surviving versions in manuscript form. I think it might be more by now, but uh, I'll have to check. It should be noted that Seferatiel Liber Salomonis is also referred to under its library catalog names, Sloan MS 3846 and Sloan MS 3826, were particularly looked at for this study. And these catalog names are used to distinguish it from a variety of similarly named grimoires. Seferatia Liber Salomonis was transcribed in 1564 by a William Perry of London at the bequest of one John Gwynne. It is seen as a Christian product, though one which borrowed from Jewish, Arabic, and Greco-Roman scholastic and folk sources. This magical text was written in the Solomonic tradition, which also brought us the still popular Keys of Solomon, and both texts, which come from the same period, have been attributed to the ancient Hebrew king in an attempt to give them more authority. There's another reason people attributed things pseudonymously to older writers. It was, it was a literary trope, uh, pseudo-Dionysius, pseudo-Plato, pseudo-Aristotle, pseudo-Paul, these things weren't done to uh, hoodwink the popular reader. They were done as an obvious way to identify the inspiration of thinking behind the pseudonymous text, as well as to give honor to the person they're pseudonymously named for. Also, little scholarly note, I've noticed some confusion within occult writers recently between pseudonymous authorship and pseudepigrapha. There's no necessary connection between a pseudepigrapha, which is, literally means little writings and is usually uh, scraps of writings or, or marginalized texts that are gathered together, and pseudonymous authorship. Uh, pseudonymous texts are not the same necessarily as pseudepigrapha, just to be clear. 
Even in the ancient world, Solomon was highly regarded for his knowledge of magic, as we have seen in the 1st through 3rd century, the Testament of Solomon, and its account of the king forcing demons to spin hemp. As well, Solomon's legend figures into late traditions of Freemasons. Rumors, which suggest the wise king left secret books of magic, seem never to have died, nor have slumbered since ancient times. And indeed, we shall find a number of well-known Freemasons were in possession of this grimoire. As the Sefer Liber Salamanus records, I, Solomon, put such a knowledge and such a distinction and explanation in this book to every man that readeth or studieth it, that he know whereof he was and from whence he came. Sefer 1564. Quote, Most 16th century manuscripts of magic remain unedited and unpublished, perhaps because the majority of them are dominated by liturgical conjuration. This is a style of magic that has attracted less academic attention than Solomonic magic and Renaissance theurgy, perhaps because it is perceived as a hangover of the medieval period. However, liturgical demon conjuring is every bit as typical of early modern magic. Copiers of Solomonic magical texts like the Sepharatziel sought to return to purified form of conjuration drawn from Kabbalistic Jewish traditions, supposedly passed down from Solomon himself, at a time when Renaissance humanists were interested in recovering the Kabbalistic tradition. Foreman, 2015. In regard to Solomonic magic and the role of the Kabbalah, there may have been some survival of the ancient cannabis use that was suggested in Chapter 2 among later Jewish Kabbalists and alchemists. The Kabbalah is a system of mysticism considered by many to be the secret teachings of the Jews and holds a number of parallels with Jewish and Christian Gnostic sects from the 1st to 4th century AD, as well as with the sort of astral magic contained in the Gayat al-Hakim and the Picatrix, which also survives in Hebrew translations, some taken directly from the original Arabic. Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, woohoo! has noted of early Kabbalistic schools who used magic and other means of communion for mystical exploration that, quote, some practices include the use of grasses, which were possibly psychedelic drugs. Kaplan, 1982. As mentioned earlier, Kaplan's The Living Torah includes cannabis as a possible candidate for the Hebrew kanabosim due to the cognate pronunciation. Kaplan, 1981. The Kabbalistic text, the Zohar, records, quote, There is no grass or herb that grows in which God's wisdom is not greatly manifested, and which cannot exert great influence in heaven. And if men but knew the wisdom of the Holy One, blessed be he, has planted in the earth and the power of all that is to be found in the world, they would proclaim the power of their Lord in his great wisdom. Zohar 2 Dash, uh, 80B. Professor Benny Shannon, who has speculated about ancient Jewish use of psychoactive substances, felt somewhat vindicated when he was directed to the works of the medieval Kabbalist and scholar Rabbi Jacob Ben Asher, 1255-1340. Rabbinu Becha Yai <laughs> writes that the purest of the foods were created at the very beginning of creation, in order to allow for the attainment of higher knowledge. He explicitly relates this to the biblical tree of knowledge and comments further that such higher knowledge 
can also be gained through the use of drugs and medicines available at his time. In addition, he notes that the manna had such qualities as well. Clearly, cannabis and its various preparations, along with opium and other psychoactives, were well known for mystical properties at Ben Asher's time. In his De Occulta Philosophia, 1651, Agrippa refers to how Rabbi Israel made certain cakes writ upon with certain divine and angelical names, and so consecrated, which they did eat with faith, hope, and charity, did presently break forth with a spirit of prophecy. We read in the same place that Rabbi Johanna, the son of Yohad, did after that manner enlighten a certain rude countryman called Eliezer, being altogether illiterate, that being compassed about with a certain brightness, did unexpectedly preach such high mysteries of the law to an assembly of wise men that he did even astonish all that were near him. Agrippa, 1651. A description that indicates more than sigils on cakes were in use, although the ingredients of said cakes are not included. Like the Zoroastrian royalty and priesthood, as well as the Levites, there are indications that early Kabbalists enjoyed the use of the herb, but prevented its consumption by the common people. In the Pesachim, Rav Yehuda says it is good to eat the essence of hemp seed in Babylonian broth, but it is not lawful to mention this in the presence of an illiterate man, because he might derive a benefit from the knowledge not meant for him. Nedarim, folio 49, column 1. Other sources have noted a Kabbalistic comparison to the effects of cannabis with divine perception, noting an intriguing reference to cannabis in the context of a fleeting knowledge of God. Zohar Hadash Bereshit, 16a, Midrash Hana Elam. As we saw in chapters 1 through 3, use of cannabis-infused wines goes back to ancient times in the Mideast. References from Zosimos to cannabis-infused wines, who was heavily influenced by Jewish sources in his writing on alchemy in the 3rd to 4th century, as well as the saffron and cannabis resin combination used in wine referred to by Rabbi Emmanuel Lowe in the 2nd century, indicate Jewish use in this context. This use continued into the medieval period, and such infusions of cannabis and other substances were in use in quintessences, and other forms by Jewish alchemists and mystics, as we have seen in chapter 11 and elsewhere. As we shall see, it seems likely there was also an awareness of unguents and incenses prepared from cannabis throughout this same period. This brings us into the era of Merkava mysticism, 100 to 1000 AD, which is centered on the sort of visionary experience had by the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, who, as we saw earlier, came to his experience through eating a scroll. Aaron Leach believes Merkava mysticism held a strong influence over the later Western magical tradition. Quote, the Merkava's use of ritual drugs, its focus upon talismans and seals, the summoning forth of angelic gatekeepers, and the gaining of mystical visions are elements that run throughout the grimoireic spells. Leach, 2005. That cannabis might have played a role in such forms of Jewish mysticism is indicated by references to it well into the late medieval period. Another interesting reference can be found with Rabbi Beryl Vine, 
who has written and lectured extensively on Jewish history and has connected the use of hashish with the Kabbalistic-inspired Jewish messianic movement of the 17th century. Vine refers to the Moroccan Jew, Yosef Ben-Zur, who was popularly identified with the prophesied messianic figure, Messiah Ben-Joseph, a claim that was propped up by Rabbi Elisha Ashkenazi, and thousands of Jews in Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia believed this and followed Joseph Ben-Zur as a result. According to Vine, quote, Joseph Ben-Zur was probably mentally unstable. At the very least, though, he was guilty of a very prevalent habit in the Middle East, smoking hashish. Now, smoking hashish in the 17th century was not seen in the same negative light as the modern world views it. Nevertheless, Joseph Ben-Zur was both slightly touched and usually high, which together is a lethal combination. He claimed he saw a vision when an angel came to him and said that he was the Messiah, Ben-Joseph. Vine, 2013. This scenario of scrying under the influence of cannabis fits with both the suggestion of cannabis in the Kabbalistic writing referred to as well as the confirmed use of cannabis for scrying in the Kabbalistic-inspired Seferatziel Liber Salomonis, which was composed in this same time period. As the occult writer A.E. Waite explained of Seferatziel Liber Salomonis, quote, it is an English translation of a Latin original and purports to have been sent to Solomon by a prince of Babylon, who was greater and more worshipful than all men of his time. The Latin title of the treatise is said to be Angelus Magnus Secreti Creatoris. It was the first book after Adam, was written in the language of Chaldea and afterwards translated into Hebrew. Wait, 1911. And of course, at that point in time in 1911, Chaldea was, of course, still the word being used for Aramaic, which is why if you go look for Aramaic lexicons, you need to actually look for a Chaldean lexicon in the library, especially the older ones. There are no known surviving copies of the Latin original referred to. Stephen Skinner, in a recently published translation of Seferatia Liber Salomonis, suggests the roots, quote, were probably a Hebrew original filtered though through a Latin intermediary to the present Middle English version. Carr and Skinner, 2013. Julia Cresswell, who has written extensively on British myth and magic, suggests that although the manuscript may be 16th century, some of the language is rather old-fashioned for that date, except perhaps for an old person writing in the early 16th century. I would guess that the text is a reworking of an earlier one, pushing the origin of the material back into the Middle Ages. Cresswell, 2006. Occult writer Damon Lyserinus agrees with this, suggesting Seferatiel is derived from 13th century Latin sources. This brings us closer to the date of the first Latin translations of the influential Jewish Kabbalistic magical book Seferatiel HaMalach, with which Seferatiel Liber Salomonis is often confused because of the similar names. The shortened Seferatiel is used for both. I have a cute little copy of that in Hebrew that, that Lon Milo Duquette signed for me when I first met him. The history of the two are hard to separate. And actually, I'm planning on doing a full he translation of that Hebrew because I've not ever put out a book that I translate from Hebrew, and I think it's about time. Sharing a number of thematic commonalities besides names, and it seems obvious 
the later English grimoire was somewhat based on the earlier Jewish versions of its Latin translations, the Sefer Ratzil HaMalek was translated under the orders of the 13th century Spanish King Alfonso. How about that, huh? who had a keen interest in magical and alchemical documents, and he was also responsible for translating the Arabic book of black magic, the Gayat al-Hakim, into Spanish and Latin, becoming the Picatrix. Because of these similarities, Seferatio Libra Salomonis is often placed with similar documents that represent, quote, abridged vernacular copies of the Alphonsine Libra Ratzielis, page 2012. I assume that's Sophie Page, the scholar, but I could be wrong. However, despite having in common the name source of angelic inspiration and a few short passages, they represent two different ratzial traditions. No doubt. The text itself tells us that prior to this, it had been passed down through the hands of figures like Adam and Solomon, and it reveals the ultimate author as the angel Ratziel. Who else could have written the book of Ratziel except Ratziel, right? A number of other medieval magical texts claim this authorship as well, and this seems to have been a way of describing a document that was in part scribed or channeled. The most explicit transmission of Jewish magical material into the Christian Latin tradition of magic was the translation of works associated with the name Ratziel, an angel present in Jewish angelology and Arabic astrological texts, who was said to have revealed a book of secrets to Adam, page 2012. The name Ratziel itself means secrets of God, and this is a fitting title for the Promethean transmitter of secrets that the figure represents in the magical tradition. The Judeo-Christian mystic origins are obvious, as Sefer Ratziel Liber Salomonis is clearly reminiscent of the planetary ascension based magic of Gnosticism, Merkava, and the Kabbalah. Quote, The text is divided into seven sections, covering different topics including the use of astrology, incense, timings, purity, and the seven heavens of their angels. As can be seen from the sevenfold emphasis, this is another essentially planetary grimoire. The area of interest in relation to this study lies in the second book, which details the virtues of stones, herbs, and beasts. Plants play an important role in the magic of Sephiratia Liber Salomonis, for as the grimoire explains, it was by Adam and Eve's sin of eating the forbidden fruit that they were expelled from Eden and the company of God. The angel Ratziel, feeling empathy for lost humanity, in a sense played the role of Prometheus, and shares the secret knowledge of plants so that the descendants of the first couple might be restored to their former place of glory. As the grimoire records of this, quote, Know thou that in herbs is virtue of the most that may be. Know thou that among herbs there be some with which thou may do good. And as to heal and make sick, and so understand thou in these that shall be said furthermore. And Adam said, By a tree came wretchedness into the world, that is, by the tree I sinned in it. And Ratziel said, An herb shall be thy life. And Solomon said, A tree shall be and shall wax, of which the leaves shall not fall, and it shall be medicine of men. I think it's vex, not wax. <laughs> Sephiratziel, 1564. You get it. 
Apparently, cannabis was held in high regard in the search for knowledge. In the Seferatiel, cannabis is combined with Artemisia, also known as wormwood, a key ingredient in the famous 19th century liquor of the poet's absinthe. Wormwood contains thujone, a psychoactive chemical that attaches itself to the same receptor sites in the brain that THC, the active chemical of cannabis, does. As the Seferatiel instructs of the use of these combined plants for magical invocation, quote, the third herb is cannabis, and it is long in shaft and clothes be made of it. The virtue of the juice of it is to anoint thee with it, and the juice of Artemisi and Ordine thee before a mirror of steel, and clep thou spirits, and thou shalt see them, and thou shalt have might of binding and of loosing devils and other things." Seferatio, 1564. There are two acts of magic being combined here. Catapharmakeo, which means to dose or anoint with drugs, and catoptramentiria, <laughs> divination by means of mirrors. In regards to catoptramentiria, <laughs> also referred to as captromony, it has long been known that trance states could be induced by gazing at polished or shiny surfaces illuminated by lamps through a kind of self-hypnosis. Luck, 2006. Mirrors have long been part of shamanic paraphernalia. As a receptacle of for souls, the mirror often served as a means for entering the trance state. Flaherty, 1992. This, of course, is the magic mirror, mirror on the wall, that survives in fairy tales. All ancient civilizations had such things. Crystals, pools of water or ink, silver or glass mirrors, and the magical literature abounds in directions for their manufacture and use. Devaney, 1997. Rabelais shows his familiarity with the practice by magicians of his time and alludes to its use dating back to the Roman period. Captromancy is held in such account by the emperor or Didius Julianus, book three. Quote, the art of using mirrors in divination and prediction of individual destiny named Captromantia is found in the Dionysian testimonies. A very large number of Greek and Roman vases show bacantes, or satyrs, dancing in trance while gazing into a portable mirror. Caputo, 2013. In regard to the Renaissance situation and noting descriptions of magic mirrors in the works of Shakespeare and elsewhere, Whitby notes that there, quote, is no shortage in literature of references to scrying with mirrors, but first-hand accounts of the practice are rare since it could and did lead to trouble with the ecclesiastical authorities. Whitby, 2012. Whitby describes a number of legal cases against crystal and mirror scryers, making it clear why this was mostly a secret practice. The Bard referred to magic mirrors in Macbeth, as well as measure for measure. Take note of what is done, and like a prophet looks in a glass that shows what future evil, either now or by remissenis. 
that's often updated to reminiscence, of course, in modern Shakespeare plays. But yes, some of the language is funny. I've actually never seen remissenesse before. In Archetypal Imaging and Mirror Gazing, Giovanni B. Caputo gives us some insights into the long-standing use of magical mirrors. Quote, Mirrors have been studied by cognitive psychology in order to understand self-recognition, self-identity, and self-consciousness. Moreover, the relevance of mirrors in spirituality, magic, and arts may also suggest that mirrors can be symbols of unconscious contents. Carl Gustav Jung investigated mirrors in relation to the unconscious, particularly in psychology and alchemy. Recently, empirical research found that gazing at one's own face in the mirror for a few minutes at a low illumination level produces the perception of bodily dysmorphic illusions of strange faces. Healthy observers usually describe huge distortions of their own faces, monstrous beings, prototypical faces, faces of relatives or and deceased, and faces of animals. In the psychiatric population, some schizophrenics show a dramatic increase of strange face illusions. They can also describe the perception of multiple others that the, fill the mirror surface surrounding their strange face. Schizophrenics are usually convinced that strange face illusions are truly real and identify themselves with strange face illusions. Strange face illusions may be the psychodynamic projection of the subject's unconscious archetypal contents into the mirror image. Therefore, Strange face illusions might provide both an ecological setting and an experimental technique for imaging of the unconscious. The mirror in itself may create altered states of consciousness and trance when the mirror is displayed at a low illumination or when the subject has assumed drugs or alcohol. Caputo, 2013. And there's a wonderful diagram in this wonderful book that you all need very badly, of the magic mirror and someone punching to shatter it because they don't like what they see. The tag is Burning Incense Before a Magic Mirror, a 19th century engraving by Caroline Augustus Felding. Although Caputo unfortunately does not expand on the use of drugs with mirrors, the subject in itself is a fascinating area of study. When catapharmacu collides with catotramenteria, Sparks definitely fly. I myself can attest to the intensity of what Caputo refers to as strange face illusions from the combination of a variety of psychoactive substances and mirrors, and I have talked to many other psychonauts who have commented on this same effect. Historically, the use of cannabis in conjunction with magic mirrors seems to have been particularly pervasive. Professor George Luck noted that it was meant also sometimes burnt for these same purposes. Quote, hallucinogenic mixtures known in Byzantine times included frankincense with ground hemp leaves, hashish. Smoke from this mixture apparently helped a medium to see images in a mirror. This is a form of captromancy. Luck, 2006. Skinner has suggested that Seferatiel Liber Salomonis Quote, may owe some of its contents to Byzantine Greek. So perhaps there is a connection here in regard to magic mirrors and cannabis. The Sefer Ratziel seems to indicate that Adam himself may have used this method of invocation and divination. He, i.e. Adam, spake with devils and with dead men 
and of them counsels he inquired, and they sufficiently to him answered. Sepharatio, 15.464. This is particularly interesting in relation to a surviving reference to an ancient Assyrian tablet from the Louvre collection that records a topical preparation of, quote, hellebore, cannabis, and lupine that was rubbed on so that God of man and man should be in good rapport. Rousseau, 2005, and more especially so in relation to what has been suggested about the Hebrew use of cannabosum in the holy anointing oil and its similar use for scrying in smoke. Although the surfaces of smoke and mirrors are different, the method itself is identical. In the case of a darkened mirror, the vague outlines and movements reflected sufficed as a similar means to the billowing movements of smoke, in which shapes and movement were given meaning by the stimulated imagination of the diviner. Well, that's not how most of us cry or interpret smoke in mirrors, I can tell you, but uh, that is definitely the common perception, especially amongst some views of our practice. Tolka Scrolls notes of the importance of the combination of mirrors and cannabis in the magical tradition in his visible and physical manifestations of spirits. Quote, the Sepharatiel states that you can ordain yourself with the juice of cannabis and artemisi before a steel mirror, and that it will give you the power to see spirits and other abilities. But the point is that the mirror is legitimate in the grimoire tradition as it is mentioned in one of the source texts of later works. Now, the use of drugs here, which should never be followed without checking local laws and indeed health risks, some highly poisonous things are suggested, are common in that grimoire, a grimoire that is amusingly one of the oldest with reference of non-physical appearance of spirits. That's since Scrolls, 2012. The popularity of magic mirrors in the 16th and 17th centuries caused the debunker Andreas Libavius, 1555-1616, to lament that there was no lack of those who pretended to, quote, construct from the motion of the stars and from the constellation magic mirrors, gems, globes, and many similar devices for exploring the future. As we shall see, the combination of drugs and scrying mirrors was also a popular method, and it has persisted into the modern era. However, it should be noted that Don Carr and the prolific occult writer and classicist, Dr. Stephen Skinner, who is also a practicing magician, barely comment on the actual chemistry or effects of the herbs listed in Sepharatiel Liber Salomonis, and no comment is made in regards to the scrying ointment. Indeed, in his commentary, Carr is actually critical of Aaron Leach's suggestion of drugs in Jewish Merkava magic, without mentioning the references in the very book of Jewish-based magic he is writing in. This lack of acknowledgement is made even more curious by the fact that in Techniques of High Magic, 1976, Skinner and co-author Francis King lists the following astral projection ointment popularized in the 1890s. Some occultists decided to step through the looking glass. Lanolin, 5 ounces. Hashish, 1 ounce. Hemp flowers, 1 handful. Poppy flowers, 1 handful. Hellebore, that's wormwood, 1 half handful. Skinner and King, 1976. So it is not likely he was unaware of their use in later magic. Skinner seems to disregard the role of psychoactive substances in magic altogether, even in regards to fumigation, 
which he suggests was really based on good and bad smells. Spirits, quote, are sensitive to certain things, and one of those is smell, so every magic ritual has the burning of incense. McGregor Mathers thought it was so that you could manifest the spirits in the incense, other people so it could cloud the mind of the operator. In fact, it manifests an atmosphere the spirit can manifest into if the smells are nice. At the end of the ritual, you reverse it and you burn something that is very unpleasant. And this helps send the spirit back from whence it came. Skinner, 2017. I do sort of agree with Skinner on that. I just think there's more to it. Skinner goes on to say that even mild body odor can dissuade a spirit from appearing. This is interesting and shows how the role of drugs in magic and history has given way to what is indeed much more magical thinking. One interesting thing I've, I want to talk more about in the future is, is if body odor dissuades spirits so much, how would tribal dances where they're dancing around fires in, uh, you know, not necessarily having the same access to sanitation that we have today, how would they have attracted any spirits at all if they're dancing all night long around a fire, you know, tribally to bring in spirits? Like, are we saying that all tribal cultures failed to to draw in any spirits because of body odor or, and a lack of ability outside to overwhelm body odor, perhaps with frankincense, which a lot of them probably didn't burn, but they had other sweet grasses, of course. I don't know. It's interesting. It's worth thinking about. Fun stuff. And now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 
While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot. Plus, you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. We see this same sort of disregard for the established historical role drugs played in witchcraft in both books on witches and with modern practitioners of neo-witchcraft. As with the Picatrix, most commentators of Sefer Ratziel, Libris Alamanus, are usually more concerned with the topics of astrology and spellcastings, and little attention is paid to what substances are used and what effects they might have. We know that this method of divination was particularly popular at the time, as a very similar recipe, along with large portions of Seferatia Liber Solomonis, was repeated in another important grimoire that was composed more than a decade later, the Book of Magic with Instructions for Invoking Spirits, etc., circa 1577-1583, renamed the Book of Oberon, which will be discussed in Chapter 17 for its relationship to fairy magic, we will refer to it as the Book of Magic, B-O-O, the Book of Oberon, and here for, from here forward. The Book of Magic, B-O-O, represents a catalog of spells, invocations, summonings, and herbal recipes that was gradually collected by unknown compilers and represents the type of manuscript that was owned by working magicians of the period. Besides excerpts from Sefer Ratziel, Liber Salomonis, excerpts from other magical texts such as Heptameron, and Curidian and the Offices of the Spirits and the Key of Solomon can also be found in this beautifully illustrated manuscript. References to a friar bacon in the text have also led to suggestions that this is a reference to 13th century friar Roger Bacon, known as Dr. Mirabilis and remembered for his interests in science, alchemy, and magic, with detractors accusing him of using negromantic charms and the enchanting forces of the devil. The famous history of Friar Bacon, 1627, describes a glass of excellent nature that any man might behold anything that he desired to see within the compass of fifty miles round about him. Francis Picus, 1469 to 1533, says that he read in a book wrote by Bacon that a man might foretell things to come by means of the mirror El Cumesi, composed according to the rules of perspectives, provided he made use of it under a good constellation, and first brought his body into an even and temperate state by chemistry. Barrett, 1801. Would be Francis Barrett. Cannabis appears in a list of notable good herbs in the Book of Magic, BOO, which was obviously repeated by a copyist from Seferazielli Bersalamonis, although with a notable variation of the recipe, quote, anoint thee with the juice of cannabis and the juice of archangel, and before a mirror of steel calls the spirits, and thou shalt see them and have power to bind and to loose them. Wow, so clearly cannabis was used in the calling and binding of spirits. That's without a doubt. The Artemisi of Seferatiel is replaced with Archangel in the Book of Magic, Book of Oberon. Suggestions for the identity of the herb referred to as Archangel include white nettle and mugwort, 
However, I am more inclined myself to suggest Angel's Trumpet, i.e. Brugmansia, also known as Devil's Breath, or possibly Datura, which was also referred to by this name. Both of these candidates are extremely psychoactive, even when applied topically, and this recipe would give us something closer to the classical witch's ointment than the less powerful but still psychoactive Artemesi, i.e. Wormwood, of the earlier Seferaziel. We can be sure this difference in ingredients is intentional as Artemisia, i.e. Artemisia, appears elsewhere in the Book of Magic. The other potent psychoactive plants have been identified in the recipes of the Book of Magic, such as Henbane, Mandrake, and Black Poppy. As Whitby has commented, we may therefore presume that there was an established method of scrying and an established ritual of invocation. Such instructions were probably circulated in manuscript along with other magical works. As cannabis and other psychoactive substances are identified in popular grimoires from this period, particularly for use with mirror scrying and invocations, this leads us to a new understanding of the actual secret practices of magicians from that era, and we can be sure this often included the use of psychoactive substances. The archetypical magician of the medieval age, Dr. Faust, whom some say was a real historical figure, for instance, is shown both drinking magic elixirs and also using the magic mirror. Note, the, uh, all the research I've ever read academically shows that Dr. Faust uh, came, again, obviously out of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's Faustus and was based on uh, depictions or popular imaginings of Henry Cornelius Agrippa. I'm sure there's more research that's been done in all of that, so that's what I know. As well, in, in Marlowe's Dr. Faustus, fumigation is indicated in the bad angel's command, quote, now draw up Faustus like a foggy mist into the entrails of yon labyrinth clouds, that when ye vomit forth into the air, my limbs may issue from your smoky mouths, so that my soul may but ascend to heaven. Marlowe, 1592. Yeah, it seems Faust predates Goethe. Frederick Danaway suggested that this reference from Dr. Faustus, along with the medieval Renaissance and later recipes that included drugs, suggest a psychoactive agent in the various arts of libanomancy and scrying. Danaway, 2009. Indeed, as we shall see, other medieval and Renaissance figures who may have used this method can reasonably be put forth. With Danaway, we can speculate that perhaps the secret flames of the philosophy per igne of the medieval ages were sprinkled with psychoactive powders that produced magic visions. The examples of possible psychoactive incenses in witchcraft, alchemy, and European paganism are legion. It is long been suggested that Nostradamus predicted the future with a magic mirror, or alternatively by gazing into a bowl of water, hydromancy. Nostradamus begins his series of 942 quatrains with verses that could well indicate some sort of fumigant, as well as magical rites being used to induce a prophetic state. Quote, Sitting alone at night in secret study, it is placed on the brass tripod 
A slight flame comes out of the emptiness and makes successful that which should not be believed in vain. The wand in the hand is placed in the middle of the tripod's legs. With water he sprinkles both the hem of his garment and his foot. A voice, fear, he trembles in his robes. Divine splendor, the god sits nearby. Nostradamus also referred to the secrets that are revealed by the subtle spirit of fire, which could indicate something being burnt. We know from his surviving writings that besides being a seer, Nostradamus also held an advanced knowledge of herbalism. In reference to psychoactive plants and medieval use, it has been suggested that the prophetic apothecary Nostradamus exemplifies the alternative tradition that is the heir to traditions marginalized by the Christian church. His visions may have been induced by some of these herbal incenses. Danaway, 2009. As noted elsewhere, Nostradamus used various forms of meditation to induce his ecstatic trances and visions. These methods included the mildly hallucinatory powers of nutmeg. Gossop, 2016, for the reference. My main scrying method is in a Nostradamian copper bowl that I pounded out of a piece of copper in the 90s and have been using and have ever since. And nutmeg I have experimented extensively with. It's fun stuff. In relation to the planetary-based magic of Seferaziel, Liber Salomonis, it is worth noting that Paracelsus describes the construction of magic mirrors through the fusion of seven metals, representing the seven planets, in order to establish a connection between macrocosm and microcosm. Caputo, 2013. Paracelsus left instructions for their construction and use but did not advise the use of narcotics for this purpose, such as the opium he was known to have prized, at least that I am aware of. But, in his description of their manufacture, he made it clear that not all was being said, lest the secrets may fall into the hands of the unworthy and ignorant. In reference to how they might be used, Paracelsus stated, quote, You may see the events of the past and the present, absent friends or enemies, and see what they are doing. You may see in it anything that has ever been written down, said, or spoken. You may see in it anything, however secret it may have been kept. Hartman, 1891. That would be Franz Hartman, one of my favorite writers. Paracelsus's use of narcotics for both magical and medical purposes, however, is well indicated, as we have seen, along with his likely familiarity with the Picatrix. The Sloan Manuscript 3846 version of Seferatia Liber Solomonis came bound up with a number of other extracts from writers like Cornelius Agrippa, Carr and Skinner, 2013. Agrippa, who, like Paracelsus, shows a familiarity with psychoactive plants and their preparations, included instructions for magic mirrors in De Occulta Philosophia. As with the invocation of ghosts into the mirror of Seferatia Liber Salomonis, quote, Agrippa was rumored to possess a magic mirror in which he could divine future events. He also dabbled in necromancy, believing he could conjure up the spirits of the dead. Drury, 2012. Quote, Agrippa consulted a magic mirror in which the dead seemed alive, as one witness asserted. Pendergrast, 2009. Professor George Luck suggested that the effects of frankincense, which is now thought to be mildly psychoactive, were, quote, known to Agrippa. His De Occulta Philosophia, 
describes a system of mirrors that allows the practitioner to project images of demons or spirits into a column of smoke from incense. As the smoke changes shape, the spirits move to appear to move. Luck, 2006. Techniques that would later be mastered by phantasmagorists like Schrupfer and Eckhartshausen, as discussed in Chapter 20. In Book 3 of his De Occulta Philosophia, in a chapter about the use of potions and other means to induce a frenzy, as in a prophetic trance, he refers to the use of fumigations with a form of a magic mirror that was reflected on an angle off of the water of a sacred fountain. There was also a prophetical fountain of Father Achaia, constituted before the temple of Ceres, where they did inquire of the event of the sick, did let down a glass by degrees tied to a small cord, to the top of the water a certain supplications and fumes being made, the event of the thing did appear in the glass. Agrippa, 1533. Another variation of the cannabis magic mirror recipe appears in C.J. Thompson's Mysteries and Secrets of Man Magic, 1927, formulas that he claimed were taken from a Renaissance grimoire that contained ancient magic. Take cannabis, viz. hemp, artemisia, and stand thee before a steel glass, and through God's help to see and bind loose spirits. But if ye anoint ye glass with juice of artemisia, it is better. A steel glass well polished, and must be anointed with the juice. To cause apparitions to be visible, to ye sight you must take artemisia, hemp, flax, cardamoms, anise, camphor, coriander, hyperico, aloes wood, apia mortigan with chicory, and that references in Thompson, 1927. The author of this grimoire adds that this last preparation is a marvelous, efficacious fumigation to cause a man to see visions on the air and elsewhere. <laughs> I'll bet. Some interesting differences in this grimoire's references in regards to mirror scrying and those of Seferatiel and the Book of Magic are that the cannabis is taken in an unspecified manner, and the only anointing is done on the actual mirrors. The anointing of the mirror here is interesting in relation to the mirror narcotique of Cahagnet and other 19th century figures who were experimenting with mirrors and drugs, along with discs, rings, and other items that were infused and magnetized with cannabis and other substances. Like Seferatiel Liber Salomonis, the grimoire Thompson held refers to the construction of a magical ring, whereas Seferatiel gave instructions for a gold ring dedicated to the sun, Thompson's grimoire offers instructions in the same style for a lead ring dedicated to Saturn to be used for receiving oracles, and mentions cannabis in its construction, as noted in chapter 12. Elsewhere, Thompson does have a recipe for topical preparation of cannabis. Quote, of perfumes, says a writer of the 16th century, a perfume made of hemp seed and the seeds of fleawort, violet roots, and parsley maketh to see things to come and is available for prophecy. Thompson, 1927. Likely, as in other ancient references, hemp seed included the chafe around the seed, which contained the psychoactive resins of cannabis. Otherwise, it would have no psychoactive effect and signifies a source of contagious magic, i.e., the powers of cannabis experienced in more powerful formulas was seen 
as a spiritual force in the plant. They could be summoned and used in other ways, including magnetizing objects as in the rings, discs, and mirrors discussed above. Grimoires, like the Picatrix and Sephiratiel, could often be found together, which, considering their similar styles of planetary magic and conjurations, is not really that surprising. Skinner refers to the magus Richard Napier, 1607-1676, who was the owner of a manuscript copy of the Sephiratiel Liber Salomonis and also had a copy of the Picatrix, which he in turn had inherited from the astrologer and alchemist Simon Foreman. We can be sure Napier and others who got to view them saw these texts as instruction manuals and did not collect them as mere novelties. Quote, Richard Napier, a former pupil of Simon Foreman, was a practitioner of Crystallomancy. Whitby, 2012. Napier's copy of Sephiratia Liber Salomonis is likely the one that ended up in the hands of the 17th century alchemist and Freemason Elias Ashmole. The version, Sloan Manuscript 3846, contains a handwritten note from Ashmole with a comment accompanying a red wax seal from a magic ring, listing the magical names engraved on the ring. It is also worth noting that there was a handwritten note from Ashmole left in a copy of the Picatrix, Sloan 3679, identifying it as a gift from Napier to the astrologer William Lilly, whose placement of cannabis under the planet Saturn was noted. That's really interesting. Lilly refers favorably to mirror scrying in his autobiography and associates its powers with the Queen of the Fairies, who appears in the Book of Magic. Book of Oberon. Knowing whose hands Sephiratiel Liber Salomonis is known to have passed through gives us an idea of who was familiar with, read, and may have practiced the magical methods outlined in Sephiratiel. Carr and Skinner, 2013. Interestingly, Ashmole is also remembered for preserving the works of Dr. John Dee, another magician known for his use of magic mirrors. To be continued though I highly recommend you getting this 777-page copy of Lieber 420, easily accessible on Amazon. And visit Lieber420.com to get the first half of the book Sex, Drugs, Violence in the Bible as a free download gifted from Chris Bennett. And thanks for supporting Magic Without Fears, the podcast. Go to magicwithoutfears.com for exclusive membership and episodes and upcoming goodies. Cheers. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon. And uh, 
seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies, uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.